Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I'm your host, James Williams, and today I talk to Spencer McLaughlin, who is the host of the Locked On Ducks and the Locked On Pac-12 Podcast. I talked to Spencer about this upcoming Oregon Ducks football season. What are some of the strengths and weaknesses of the offense and defense? What can we see out of Bo Nix this year? Could he potentially improve off of his stellar season in 2022? Can Dan Lanning improve the defense for Oregon? enough for them to potentially win a Pac-12 championship. Who are going to be some of the contenders in the Pac-12? Who are we high on? Who are we low on? I talked to Spencer for about 30 minutes, and now without any further ado, here's my conversation with Spencer McLaughlin. All right, joining me is Spencer McLaughlin, who is the host of the Locked On Ducks and the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. He also does play-by-play for Southern Utah University. And we are here to talk about this upcoming Oregon Ducks football season. A lot of hype coming into the season. It's going to be the last season of the Pac-12 probably. Spencer, what are you looking forward to most heading into this Oregon football season? Actual football. I mean, actual football is like my love language right now, man. I, I mean, if if any, you know, cute girl out there came up to me and just <laughs> said anything about actual football, I would get down on a knee on the spot and be like, wow. You care about something that isn't that isn't realignment. That's excellent. And look, I, I I get it. Like I talk about that stuff all the time. It matters. It's interesting. But I I I'm so ready for actual, honest to God, old school football. Just just give me the game because I think what's gotten lost in all this, you know, realignment has become like its own sport almost. And the reason we care about realignment is because of the actual season. And once the season starts, you know, we'll get beyond the realignment talk a little bit more it'll still linger especially with Oregon State and Washington State's futures so up in the air that'll drag on throughout the season I imagine but we've gotten a good amount of resolution to this point I think we'll still get a little bit more but I, I'm just looking forward to having actual football to to talk about and you know last year at this time I felt that way because I'd been talking about everything with regards to the conference in the upcoming season you know I'd made record predictions talked about newcomers and quarterbacks and favorites and all this all that sort of stuff and that was making me excited. And now I'm excited to just get back to having the focus be on the football because that's that's why we care about realignment in the first place. And that's that's why we all came together around this beautiful, wonderful world of college sports in the first place. I was not planning on talking any realignment today, and I do not want to. I feel like a lot of times with realignment, we always talk ourselves in circles with it. Like, cause that's kind of, you can, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of different angles to take on it, but I, I think football is, football is so close. It's like, well, it's when it's it up is, in the air, is, there's a lot of angles to take on it. But I think with like yeah. the ACC stuff, if you're talking ACC realignment, I think you're just talking yourself in like a bunch of circles because kind they're of, just, yeah, they're just kind of you locked get back in. To the, <laughs> you get back to the same point as we all kind of anxiously await what the next move is, right? We're just kind of constantly in this mode of, so what's next? What's new? What's going to happen? What's that's just how we're hardwired is we always think about, you know, what comes next, not what's happening now, but what's going to happen now in the last season of the pack as we know it is, is one heck of an entertaining football season. Well, I want to talk about this entertaining Oregon team. You guys have Bo Nix as quarterback. He kind of resurrected his college career last year, and now he's going to be entering as a Heisman front runner this year, basically. Are you expecting him to kind of build on the momentum? that he had from last year and get better? Or do you think he, if Oregon will still have a successful season, if he kind of like at plateaus makes it seem like he's going downward, but if he plateaus or like has the similar production. 
Well, I, I don't know if I'd say he's a Heisman front runner. I think he's a Heisman candidate. I, I think that if things go right for Oregon, if they make the college football playoff this year, Bo Nix will be in New York. And I can say that with certainty for two reasons. Number one, every time Oregon has had a Heisman finalist, at least in my lifetime, they have made the national championship or the college football playoff. Mariota 2014, LaMichael James 2010. The second part of it is if if Oregon is going to get to the playoff, Bo Nix has to play at the level that he did last year. And he was on track to maybe make it to New York. And Oregon was on track to make it to, to New York or to, or to the college football playoff until the last three weeks of the season. They suffer a couple stumbles against their rivals. And Bo Nix is hurt over the course of those games. So I think that kind of solidified the fact that we need Bo to be at his best to get to the college football playoff. And hopefully the defense is able to help out the Ducks and win more than one game as they did a season ago. Like the only game where the defense took over and won was Utah. And that's when Bo Nix was literally on one leg. I I mean, he was hobbling or we didn't think he was going to play. There was a quote from a receiver on the Ducks about, you know, what they would need from Ty Thompson and what they expect from him stepping up. And everyone was like, oh, so Bo's not playing then. And then first snap of the Utah game comes out and we're on offense. And all of a sudden, boom, Bo Nix is out there and we're going, okay. And then we see him try to run. We're like, oh, that's this guy's a warrior. This guy is an absolute tough as nails, just going to grit it out, tough SLB. So I, I think that he's he's someone who can play at a really high level. He hit the Oregon single season, single season completion record a year ago, just under 72%. If he plays at that level, and the Ducks are better in the red zone, then Oregon can win the Pac-12 this year. They did lose their offensive coordinator. Kenny Dillingham goes to be the head coach at Arizona State. Yep. Is, that, is that a concern at all, having a new offensive coordinator? I don't think concern is the right term. I think question is, is the right question. term. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fair question to ask, but I don't think it's something you should be worried about necessarily. I could see a world in which Bo is not as good of a player as he was last year because he doesn't have Kenny Dillingham, who's, you know, been the OC and helped guide him to his two best seasons in college, really. Uh, his third year at Auburn, he had he had some some pretty, pretty good moments. But I, I think that that's a question to ask, less of a less of a concern. It's not something I'm, you know, I, if, if you're going down top five worries or concerns for the Ducks going into this year, that cracks the top 10, but I don't think it cracks the top five. So that's where 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 I feel with that, you know, part of the reason that, that I'm a question, not a concern on the new OC is I think Will Stein is a good hire. And the other part of it is Bo, Nif- Bo Nix is going into his fifth year of college football. Like, it's not as if he's a young, up-and-coming star who's still learning. Bo Nix knows football. Bo, Bo Nix has played a lot of football, seen a lot of football, studied a lot of football. He's a fifth-year starting quarterback. He's done nothing but start every game he's ever played in his college career. So, I think that that concern is, you know, pretty mild, uh, as I said, but uh, definitely a fair one to ask. And I am curious what kind of wrinkles Will Stein puts in the offense. You know, he said that he wants it to look mostly the same because we had so much success last year. I think that's music to the fans of Oregon's ears. But on the flip side of things, Oregon at times really struggled offensively in the red zone and it cost them dearly. They couldn't put a touchdown on the board against Washington. And that allowed the Huskies to come back and steal that game at Autzen Stadium. We couldn't execute down in the red zone at the end against Oregon State. There's your season right there. That's the difference between college or between Pac-12 championship game and the Holiday Bowl. And I, I think that that's an area where Oregon uh, needs to improve and, and be more consistently efficient. But 
they weren't bad a year ago. There were just a, a couple of key moments where I look and say, I think that's where Will Stein can be an upgrade over Kenny Dillingham. Not a guarantee that he will, but I think that was Dillingham's biggest weakness last year for sure. You mentioned there kind of like your top five, let's say, questions about this Oregon team. You said maybe the new offensive coordinator might be one of the five. Is there any of those other four potential questions? Is any of that else on the offense? It looks like you guys might have some new starters on the offensive line this season. Yeah, I think offensive line is a top two question. And the other top one or two question, um, I can make the argument either way. It's probably the defensive line, number one, but the offensive line is number two. And Oregon comes in in the preseason poll at number 15 in the AP. I think that's about right. I talked about that on my show today because they do have a lot of returning talent. Bo Nix, Troy Franklin, a really dynamic, physical, balanced, capable couple of running backs with good depth behind them as well. You look at the tight end, Terrence Ferguson, that's an NFL Sunday player. You look at the depth they have at receiver now with Tez Johnson and Gary Bryant coming in, in addition to Treshawn Holden coming from Alabama. You've got Jurion Dickey, the five-star freshman. You've got Kyler Casper, a former highly rated four-star uh, waiting in the wings and, and hopefully gets a good opportunity to contribute more to the offense this year and be an actual you know key cog in the offense. There are plenty of weapons everywhere you look. I think tight end's a little thin, but you've got a you've got an NFL caliber guy, in my view, in, in Terrence Ferguson. So I think they're fine there. Um, they used multiple tight ends a lot a year ago, and we'll probably just see more receiver heavy sets. I, I think given the personnel and you know who they brought in, there are some solid backup players behind T Ferg, but I don't know that they're you know, as deep at tight end talent-wise as they were a season ago with Cam McCormick and uh, Maliki Matavau, who both transferred out. So I, I, I think that's the only area where I say, ah, you're not quite as good as last year, but you're deeper at receiver. I, I, absolutely. You can go six, seven deep, and, and I'd feel good about what Oregon has there. I think Kyler Casper's got immense potential. Jurion Dickey's the highest-rated receiver recruit since Cameron Colvin in, uh, in 2006, and I, I think Dickey has the potential to be maybe one of the best Oregon receivers ever. So I, I feel really good about the offensive weapons, but you're losing your center, you're losing your left tackle, and you're losing two other starters from last year's offensive line. That's a lot. Now, you return a trio of guys who had several starts a year ago or have been regular rotation players and have been good in the action that they have seen in Stephen Jones, who was a starter last year, uh, but was injured at the start of the year. Who filled in for him? Either Marcus Harper or Jackson Powers Johnson, depending on whether or not Alex Forsyth, the center, was healthy. Jackson Powers Johnson and Marcus Harper are both back. So is Stephen Jones. So those guys aren't, Stephen Jones would technically be listed as a starter. JPJ and Marcus Harper, not technically starters from a year ago, but if they are in there on the offensive line, I know the offensive line can be good because they were not good. They were dominant a year ago, particularly in pass protection. And that's something that I still feel good about now. JPJ is the most likely starting center. Josh Connerly, the former five-star and number one offensive tackle in the class of 2022, who played a key role on the offensive line a year ago, rotating in in certain packages. That's going to be your starting left tackle in all likelihood. The other spots kind of up in the air. There's depth, there's talent, but they're not going to have the cohesion that last year's unit had. And that's why it's one of the big questions. The premier programs of the Pac-12, or the artists formerly known as the Pac-12, Washington, Oregon, USC, last season, all get three new head coaches. Don't leave Go Utah out there. Don't leave Utah well, out they, of that conversation now. I, I understand that, but for this conversation, for this question I'm asking, Utah is kind of like 
not, not a concern with this question because they are they are reigning defending Pac-12 champions two times in a row. Cannot get it done in the Rose Bowl. Hopefully, if they get there this year, they can make some noise. But I look at Oregon, Washington, USC. They all hire new coaches. They're all having uh, all had you know pretty good first years. All have returning starting quarterbacks. But I look at USC. I look at Washington, and their head coaches are more offensive oriented. And I know from being a uh, fan of a Big Twelve school, Lincoln Riley's teams, you know, their defenses weren't necessarily that tough. And I look at Oregon, Dan Lanning was the DC at Georgia for a few years. Oregon's defense last year, you know, not the best. You guys definitely want to improve. You think that maybe gives you guys a little bit more of an extra edge heading into this season compared to the rest of the teams in the Pac-12 because of your head coach's defensive background that you guys might improve on that side of the ball more than a USC or Washington? That's what Oregon fans and the the, uh, alumni and the athletic department, everyone are hoping. You know, I, I don't think... Dan Lanning was hired by accident. I think Oregon was looking around at the hires that were taking place in the conference, Lincoln Riley and Kalen DeBoer and, you know, Jonathan Smith down at Oregon State, offensive guy. They, they've become kind of a defensive team because their DC is really good. But I, I look at that and think, I think it, it seems like Dan Lanning kind of was hired as the the anti-Lincoln Riley or the anti-Kalen DeBoer. Now we're going into the Big Ten and gosh almighty, who knows and, and, and who cares? But I think... Oregon's defensive potential is greater. And then the flip side of that is he has to continuously find good offensive coordinators because when you have a guy who has a lot of success like Kenny Dillingham, he's going to get hired. He's he's going to get an offer. And if Will Stein has a lot of success as our OC, guess what? In two to three years, he's going to get an offer. Someone is going to want that guy. And does he want to be a head coach? That's up to him. But certainly that opportunity will be presented to him at the very least. And you know, for Lanning, I, I I was a little disappointed in what the defense was a year ago. Um, now, they didn't have all the personnel that they maybe wanted to fit their scheme, but they certainly do this year. And you should have a top half defense in the Pac-12 in every notable statistical category. And frankly, they should be top three or four uh, with the talent that they have on, on paper. They should be able to be a much improved defensive unit. I mean, they were basically 74th in the country in, I think it was either yards or points per game allowed last year. Like that's that's just not where they should have been. And I, I'm willing to give, you know, a one-year grace period with regards to getting in all the guys who you think are going to most fit your your scheme and what you want to do. And you were dealing with a lot of players who weren't necessarily your players, but I'm not going to make that excuse for very long because the defense still had plenty of talent last year. They should have been better. And so when you look at the players they've brought in from the high school ranks with their recruiting class, which was top 10 for 2023, the players they brought in from the portal. There's more talent on paper across the board. You have a couple questions lingering out there, but overall, that defense needs to be better. And Tosh Lupoy, the defensive coordinator, and Dan Lanning have got to be able to put together a better defensive season than what they did a year ago. You know, I want to see a lot more games from the defense that look like the Utah game than what we saw in the Oregon State and Washington games when the defense was flat out embarrassed by one-dimensional productive offenses on the other side that weren't required to be balanced. Washington didn't have to run it. Oregon State didn't have to throw it. And they were able to move the ball all game long. And, and if that happens again in year two, it'll be pretty disappointing for Duck fans. All right. I agree with that. A little bit of improvement on the defense. So I've, I've been asking a lot of people that come on and they have teams that, you know, are projected to get around that nine plus win total this question. 
because you you're expecting to win almost every game that you're going into i believe as you're covering oregon you're gonna think that you guys have at least a chance to win every game if you guys aren't favored in you know 10 or 11 of your games this year some of those might depend on like home field advantage with some of the other pac-12 teams i always bring up this question is there any games on the schedule that like i might look at as like an outsider and say uh, oregon should take care of that team but you look at it as someone that's covered the team been a fan of the team for several years and you go oh no 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 we cannot sleep on this team washington state I, I I'd say that's the biggest trap game on Oregon's schedule. And when you look at what happened last year, it was in Pullman, which is a tough place to play, but Oregon again had more talent than Washington state last year. And the Cougars should have beaten them. Not could have not might have, if they'd got no, they should have won the game. They had a 12 point lead with, what was it? Uh, five twenty to go. Washington state moved the ball up and down the field. They stifled Oregon's offense at times, though not consistently, but we couldn't contain Cam Ward with the pass rush. Weren't able to stop him from making miraculous plays. And look, I I think Jake Dickert's a really good football coach. Uh, I I think up at Washington State, I feel for him and all this realignment stuff because I think he's an awesome guy. I think he's very passionate. I think he's very honest. Um, And I think he's a good football coach too. And we saw that last year. And the Washington State game this year is such a big trap game for the Ducks. They do come back home to play the Cougs this season, but it comes the week after the Washington game. So the way Oregon's schedule works out, Portland State week one, that's an FCS, that's work out all the kinks and everything and, you know, drub them 70 to seven or something like that. Then week two, they go at Texas Tech, and that's going to be hard. And I think everyone should know, that'd be probably the second game I'd say, yeah, you got to look at that one because Texas Tech, not a huge football brand, but guess what? Texas Tech, good football team. You know that as, as an Iowa State guy, that's a good football team. And they should be preseason top 25. They barely weren't in the AP. They are in the coaches poll. I would have voted that we had our own top 25 preseason poll at Locked On. I had them in the preseason top 25. I, I, I like what they're doing down there in Lubbock right now. So I think Texas Tech will be tough as well. But it goes Portland State at Texas Tech. Then you play Hawaii at home. That's not going to be a problem because Hawaii is a very low-level Mountain West team. Then you play Colorado at home. Colorado will be much improved, but Oregon is going to be heavily favored as they should be. Then you go at Stanford. Stanford's rebuilding. I think Stanford's the worst team in the pack this year. So it shouldn't be any worse than 4-1, and one, and 5-0 and oh is definitely on the table for the Ducks. But then they, go, then they have a bye, and then they go at Washington. So the hype and anticipation for that Washington game is going to be through the roof after the embarrassment of last season. So win or lose that game, to bring this back to Washington State, the week after, you're just primed for a letdown. You, you ju- we see it all the time. Whether you're riding an emotional high, you come back down and play to the level of your competition because you think, oh, this isn't as good of a team. We got it. We're good. Or you lose the week prior and you feel defeated. And you think, it's not the goal we wanted this season. Now we got to come play these guys. Either way, I think the mindset is going to be the key to Oregon uh, taking care of the Cougs the way that they are capable of. But Washington State's got an NFL caliber quarterback. They've got a really smart defensive head coach. They've always got solid weapons. Their offensive line is a pretty big question. Um, That's where I would love to see Oregon's defensive line enforce their will. But I'd watch that Washington State game in week eight uh, as the game to look at and go, hey, that doesn't look that hard on paper, but uh, actually it might be. 
I know you might just say that this is like a perennial kind of college football thing, but is that a thing that you notice with Oregon where like coming off some of those really high, like, you know, high attention games that sometimes there is a little bit of let off the next week? Well, last week there was, or last year there wasn't, you know, we of course got drubbed by Georgia, but then we played an FCS opponent and we made them look like an FCS opponent. It was 70 to 14. And frankly, 14 points was too many, but still you won by 56. They did just fine. Then the next week they played BYU and that was kind of the catalyst for the rest of the season. So they responded in a big way. BYU was feeling good. They were two and zero. had a good quarterback in Jaron Hall. They came into Autzen Stadium, and it wasn't close. Like at one point, uh, it was close after the first quarter, but then Oregon just pulled away from them. And at one point in the third quarter, the game was thirty-eight to seven, and that was at the time the twelfth-ranked team in in the country in BYU, who went on to have an eight and five season, winning a bowl game. So I, I think that that's something that's encouraging for Oregon fans, is we've seen them avoid those sorts of moments before but i have just watched college sports and sports in general too many times but it's especially college sports where you just lose more games that you shouldn't than you shouldn't or you lose more games that you shouldn't lose in college i think than you do in the pros um it's it's just kind of the i mean you're dealing with kids you're you're you're, you're dealing with kids at the end of the day so that that can happen, but I was encouraged by a number of things I saw from Oregon last year. You know, losing to Washington, coming back the next week, and beating the eventual Pac-12 and then defending champs in Utah with a hobbled Bo Nix. That was as gutsy a performance as we've seen from from the Ducks in, in quite some time. And then the next week against Oregon State, they got up and they got kind of comfortable and they got sloppy and it was a disaster. So I, I, I think that's something that you just are always on watch for as, as a fan, but um, the great teams are able to avoid those moments. And if Oregon's a great team this year, then they'll be able to get through it. The top of the pack 12 this year, we have, like we said, we Oregon, Washington, USC, Utah, can't forget them. And then I think the fifth team, or maybe you could say this team is a little bit higher is definitely Oregon state. They're, they're over it's definitely under, Oregon State. Their, their over under win total is, is pretty high. I think it was like eight, eight and, and a half. half. Yeah, yep, that, it's eight and a half. That, that 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 number like made me raise some eyebrows. How do you think you would rank all of those five teams? Because I'm kind of I'm not sure if like this is going to be a year because it kind of happened last year where like everyone kind of like beat each other. So that's why, like I said, when I was comparing the three teams with the the first year head coaches last year, all it's weird that like, all, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like everyone kind of like beat each other in like a circle. It's called the circle of suck, James. Yeah, the circle it's of the suck. circle of suck. And the Pac-12 once again managed to complete it last year. For those unfamiliar, here's what the circle of suck is. And this has become a staple in the Pac-12 conference over the years. You put the 12 Pac-12 teams in some order and you draw an arrow to the next team, indicating that the team who's being pointed at was defeated by the team who's being pointed from. And you can always go around and have the circle of suck completed. And it's called the circle of suck because it's what ends up keeping the Pac-12 out of the playoff every year, right? So you just, you just go around and, you know, USC beat UCLA and then USC lost to Utah. Utah lost to UCLA. That's the Pac-12 in a nutshell right there. 
and you can just keep you you I don't have the image memorized off the top of my head from from last year but Arizona beat UCLA UCLA beat Utah Utah beat USC does that mean Arizona was his, was good enough to be Pac-12 champions no it means they had a good enough matchup against UCLA and they took advantage of it at the Rose Bowl later in the season so Hey, don't I, I use that logic in front of a UCF fan. It will confuse them. I've heard much about UCF fans. and I'm, I'm scared when I'm going to have to talk to one. I'm, I'm going to have to admit <laughs> that they won the 2017 title. I can't, I can't get into yeah. that argument. So I I'm, just sorry, have to I'm sorry to report US, UCF fans. You, you did not win the national championship in 2017. Well, they beat like a two-loss Auburn team or something. Yeah, <laughs> which was awesome. Like That was great. But you didn't. You didn't win the national championship. Pretty cool. Scott like, Frost I, and Ed Odron, national champions. Whole that whole narrative. Like I, I honestly don't even get where it comes from. Like, well, we're the rightful champions. Like, really? Are you? Because I'm pretty sure it was it 2017. They season? have it in their stadium. Yeah, I know. Which is pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty ridiculous. Um, they beat. Okay, they, the reason so they that, beat Auburn. The reason that like, it's ridiculous is because their schedule is laughable. Like yeah. that. Like they have some solid opponents in there, and then they beat. Auburn. Okay. Now this is why I'm in favor of college football scheduling being done on an annual basis so that G5 teams like UCF at the time, they're now power five, of course, in the big 12. That's so that they can actually have an opportunity to get into a 14 playoff by scheduling a quality team. But Florida international, I'm sorry, Maryland is just not that good. Memphis, Cincinnati, East Carolina, Navy, Austin P, uh, pay, whatever it is, SMU, Yukon Temple, South Florida, Memphis, again, like that's, you know how many teams in the Power Five that year could have gone undefeated against that schedule? A a lot, a, a lot of them. There, like there are a lot of teams that if they'd played that same schedule, would have gone undefeated that year. Hey, don't say that. You guys are gonna have to play them in the Alamo Bowl this year. <laughs> uh, I probably spoke that into existence, didn't I? <laughs> so so going back it. to the to the top end of the Pac-12, how about this? Out of the five that I named. Um, okay, let's even take Oregon out of it because I know you're probably going to say Oregon's at the top. Out of the other four, no, I wouldn't say that at all. Okay, then who's at the top? USC. Okay. Why? And, and by the way, I say that as someone who laments USC's role in conference realignment because they have been uh, one of the puppet masters behind the strings, orchestrating the downfall of the pack. It goes back several years. It's been well documented in several different outlets by credible reporters. USC has worked to orchestrate the downfall of the pack. They were not the only person there, but they were there and they were, they were yanking people's chains and they were pushing the right buttons to get us to where we are now. Um, and then also it was reported that USC really didn't want Oregon to come to the big 10 with them. Oh no, no, that, that's, uh, yeah. that is not, they, yeah, that is yeah, not yeah, a secret. Want, yeah. So, and so anyway, USC is public enemy number one, but I'm also able to compartmentalize my, feelings about a particular school and program and analyze what they are as a football team, which is the prohibitive PAC 12 favorite because they have the best player in the country. They have a brilliant coach and everyone loves to say, well, they don't have a great defense. They're never going to have a great defense. They never did under Lincoln Riley. You know what they did under Lincoln Riley? They won the big 12, like three times, (laughs) four or five year span. They won the big 12. When you're talking about USC's defense, it's holding them back from winning a national championship. Not always what last year it held them back from winning a conference championship. Sure. By like a sliver, they didn't beat Utah. 
And if they beat Utah in the regular season, guess what? They're probably in the playoff. They would have gone the TCU approach. They would have been 12-0, and and then they would have lost the conference title game. They probably get in. You you probably go 12-1 and USC over 11-1 and Ohio State. I mean, you have an extra win. 10-2 so Alabama. How, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that that's where they are. They, they are very good. Like Lincoln Riley is brilliant. Caleb Williams is amazing. They have great weapons. Their offensive line is solid. They've added some pieces to bolster their defense. Yeah, they are my, they, they are my favorite. And I don't like picking preseason uh, champions because I think just too much can go down and you can have you know, tiebreakers that we had to deal with last year, yada, yada, yada. So I, I, I'd say USC is power rated number one. Then there's a gap. And then you can coin flip for me, Oregon, Washington, and Utah dependent upon cam rising's health you take cam rising out of that equation and i just say with him because this applies to any of the quarterbacks right you take caleb williams away from usc guess what they stink comparatively you take michael Penix away from washington they're not a contender you take bo nicks away from oregon that's not going to happen you take dj uyungle away from oregon state yeah, they're kind of the same team they're 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 kind of, they were seven and one last year without him you take cam rising away from utah I would put them below Oregon State. I'd still probably have them power rated above UCLA because I've seen them win games with their backup quarterback. So I'd say coin flip between Oregon, Washington, Utah. I could readily make an argument for any order there. I could go Oregon, Washington, Utah, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Washington, Utah, Oregon, Washington, uh, Oregon, Utah, or Utah, Oregon, Washington, Utah, Washington, Oregon. So um, I think it's USC. I think it's those three. Then I think it's Oregon State. Then UCLA, Washington State, and Arizona. Oregon State, DJ. I are we sure he's going to be the starter? Yeah, are we sure he will be? Mm. Yeah, he was not good at Clemson. I no, watched. I watched him play my team in a bowl game. We were cheering every time he passed. Yeah, I understand that, but he was also asked to be the focal point. He's not going to be asked to do that at Oregon State. Okay, all right. He I needs think- to throw. He needs to throw twenty-five to twenty-eight times a game complete two downfield shots and hand the ball off. All right. Call an audible every now and then. They make it at easy. Clemson, at Clemson, you know what they wanted him to do? Throw for 330 yards a game. That's what they thought he could be. He's not that guy, but he's not going to be asked to be that at Oregon State. That that would be the argument for DJ, is that the Clemson offense just was just a, kind of a tire fire the last few years. They don't have the outside talent that they used to have they did have the offensive line um, and the running backs but they, they didn't I mean, have like the I, top 10 picks at wide receiver they don't have no that. they didn't but I, I i think it was more about what Dabo sweeney wants to accomplish offensively look at his best teams trevor lawrence deshaun watson what were they doing when they were winning at that level they were throwing the ball for 300 plus yards a game that's that's what made clemson great that's what the clemson offense is and we know that dj can't be that but can he throw for 220 to 250 yards a game? That's all they're looking for is a guy who can do that. And I think DJ is capable, though it's a it's a question. Like the Bo Nix without Kenny Dillingham question. It's not a concern. It's a question. Okay. Concerns, not questions. That might be the title of this podcast. Spencer, questions, I- not concerns. Questions, not concerns. Sorry, I've had a long day. Questions, not concerns. <laughs> That'll be the title of this podcast. Spencer, I think we're out of time. Do you want to tell us where we can view all of your work and then we'll head out of here? Yeah, I host Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12 Monday through Friday all year round on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at smalls underscore 55. If you ever want to shoot me a message or engage with me on there, DMs and mentions are always wide open. But it was good to come on and talk with you, James.
Awesome. Thanks, man. Okay, that is going to do it for the podcast today. Thanks again to Spencer McLaughlin for joining us. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at JDMajor2 and Instagram at JWSDetective. If you want updates on the show, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. And as always, guys, I will see you next time.